501 Crossroads is your show all about nonprofits and the people that make the mission happen. I'm Marjorie Moore, the Executive Director of Mind's Eye, and my personal mission is to make nonprofits stronger by identifying and fixing the rubs that so often come up between people and the mission. And we have my co-host, Natalie Jablonski, the Nonprofit Ninja. That's right, specializing in helping nonprofits maximize their time, talent, and resources to achieve organizational greatness. Hey, Marjorie. Hey, how you doing? You know what? Today we're going to talk all about runs, walks, and all that jazz. And I am so excited because although some experts note that charity and run-walk events began back in the 1960s, they really took off in the fitness-focused 1980s. They've continued to grow since then. Uh, So today we've welcomed our guest, Amanda Kernan, who is currently a community manager for the Lakeshore Division of the American Cancer Society, where she has served for the past five years in various roles with nonprofit walking events as her specialty. She's currently working on a special event in the Metro East called Wine, Witches, and a Walk, we're going to have to learn more about that later, really won't we, like Marjorie? Wine, <laughs> wine comes up on this, on this show a lot. So, Amanda, before we get sidetracked, tell us a little about yourself. Hello. I am Amanda Kernan. I am a community manager with the American Cancer Society here in the Metro East. Um, I do the Relay for Life events in Edwardsville, Collinsville, McKenna University, O'Fallon, Belleville, and now I am the new staff partner for our wine, which is on a walk event. Excellent. So we'll talk about more about that yes, awesomeness towards absolutely. the end. So today is really all about helping our nonprofit listeners out there who are either considering managing a, a walk or maybe they have one, they'd like to take it to the next level. Uh, so we've done some research for you and we'll be posting that research throughout the week um, on our website within Facebook. So make sure you take a look at those articles. But one of those was all about uh, do these charity run walks still matter? And that came yeah. from a website called classy.org. Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about Marjorie, about what they what they were discussing in that article. So one of the big things is, you know, kind of what's your, what's your ROI on a a run walk. Um, I will full transparency. I did a run walk for two years and we crashed and burned on it because we weren't raising the money. Um, so there are really high operational costs with these events. So, you know, you've got your uh, race officials, you've got your timing equipment, you've got your barricades, you've got amenities, amenities um, all really important big costs for something that I think a lot of people in the community might think, well, we're just going to show up at the line and we're going to, we're going to run, we're going to walk and Yay, raised money. Uh, it, a lot more goes into it. So um, that was kind of one of the things that the Classy.org article really talked about was, you know, how much does this really, how much really goes into this? Um, and what are some new fundraising models? Um, because then, apparently it's still working for some nonprofits. There yeah. is a formula which, mm-hmm. done correctly, mm-hmm. despite the operational cost, are not only successful, but they're mm-hmm. uber successful. Exactly. And not just raising awareness but also raising fundraising dollars and connections and friends and all those great things as nonprofits exactly. we want to get. Yeah, so Amanda's here to tell us how to actually make that happen for our charities. Right? <laughs> You've got your magic wand yes. with you. Yeah, that's it's all about magic, yeah, actually. So, Amanda, why should we, you know, what, what is a good reason for doing a, uh, a walk in this day and age or, you know, how can we make some money? What are some good ways to yeah. do that? For us, I mean, Relay for Life has been super successful for the American Cancer Society. It's been going on since 1985. It's raised billions of dollars worldwide, and it's really how we fund our mission for ACS. So I think the biggest thing is finding the right volunteers, which I know we're going to touch on a little bit later, um, making sure that you have those people in your community who are really passionate and owning the event. Our events are not successful if I go in as the American Cancer Society staff partner and try and give them 
them a boxed event. Mm -hmm. So having community members who know what works locally for them Mm -hmm. own the event makes a huge difference. Oh, absolutely. I agree totally. You know, that's kind of like, I keep going back to this this, uh, show that we did. I think it might have been episode four uh, with Mary Baloney talking about getting the right I used to work with Mary Baloney. I love her. Isn't she fantastic? She was one of our very first guests. And oh my gosh, she's writing a book. We're going to have I to heard, bring her back on yes. when she gets the book done. Yes. Very and exciting. for those of you listeners going, who is Mary? You should be looking at the archives of <laughs> 501 Crossroads. <laughs> Homework for you, there right? You <laughs> yeah. So, but one of her biggest things was getting those right volunteers mm-hmm. on board. So it makes we, such a huge yeah. difference. What do we do about recruiting volunteers for these events? Like, how do we get started? So the thing that I've found to be most successful is word of mouth. Everybody knows somebody who is also passionate about a cause. So if you can get them to find somebody else to bring into the event, and then it's really finding out what their strengths are. As an event planner, we have certain areas that we obviously need to fill, and we want to kind of shove people into those roles, and that almost never works. So actually, like, letting them tell you what they're interested in (laughs) is the number one thing, instead of of trying to fit a square into a hole. Wait, wait, wait. Are you suggesting that we listen to our volunteers? I know. It's a novel idea. <laughs> Nobody's ever heard this before. Late breaking news, folks. <laughs> so, so one of the questions I guess I always have is when I see events like this is why, what inspires people to volunteer for these types of events? Because, yes, you have to be passionate and you have to have uh, something that that cause hits you personally uh, or professionally al- aligned with that cause. But, we're talking about, so you know, we're, we're walking, we're doing a physical activity. Um, typically, it's in a month where it's either extreme cold or extreme hot, depending yeah, on... The weather is never what you actually right. want it to be. No, not at all. <laughs> and yet, you're like, hey, you should volunteer for this. And they're so excited about it. So what what are people getting out of this as a volunteer? What do you, what do you think drives them? What are they trying to achieve? I think it's showing the mission. One of the things that I make sure I do with any volunteers that I talk to is talk about what the American Cancer Society is actually doing. Because mm-hmm. 95% of people know the name the American Cancer Society and less than 10 people understand what we're actually doing locally. Mm. So I try and take my volunteers. We have a Hope Lodge over in St. Louis where cancer patients and caregivers can stay completely free of charge. Um, I take groups of my volunteers over there to cook dinner for them and sit down and actually talk to them to hear from these cancer patients how grateful they are for the fact that their fundraising is giving them a place to stay for free. Wow, that's awesome. We have a wig boutique in O'Fallon that I like to take my volunteers to to show them just how these patients come in. They get a free wig yeah. from the American Cancer Society, they get it styled, all that good stuff. So I like to take them and show them one-on-one what their money is actually going towards and what the time and energy they're putting in and I think is doing locally. As a, as a volunteer of one of these events, I think also, too, I'm always about walking the walk, and this mm-hmm. is literal. This is really saying, not only do I think this organization is great and this cause is important to me, but I'm not going to hide behind the scenes of a committee somewhere that's in a big group that... You're going to see me out there, and I'm doing the work. And that's it's, huge. Yes, it, it's there's something to be said about a hard day's work, you know. Yeah. And you come home, and you're you're sweaty, and you're exhausted, and yet you have so much energy, and you feel so good yes. about like what you've done. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and not everyone is made for this type of walk, right? Or type this type of thing. So let me throw a party for it <laughs> with wine. Yeah, we'll take that too. Absolutely. So that brings up a really interesting point because mm-hmm. we were looking at an article on CharityWalksBlog.com. This is a good one. By I, the way. I really like this particular blog. It was neat, and it, one of the things that it said was recruiting 30% more volunteers is needed 
as a general rule of thumb. And they were talking about the whys behind that, where people say, well, I'm volunteering, so they may not be as vested as a commitment. So then people fall out and, and people get sick and all these different things come up. And so you really need to be recruiting about 30% more than you actually need. What is your experience with that, Amanda? Is that pretty right, right on the head, or what do you think? Yeah, our rule of thumb is basically, we usually say 25% more than what we actually need, just because people are volunteering their time. So they have full-time jobs, and they have families, and they have personal commitments that when they're in the moment, they really feel like they can commit all this time and all this energy to it, and then they go back to living life, mm. and they don't quite have that amount of time and that amount of energy. Yeah. So, And also it's just a good rule of thumb because you would much rather get to an event and have too many volunteers than not enough volunteers and things be falling through the cracks. So That's a good point because I think a lot of times when I've been asked to serve on a committee for a nonprofit event, mm-hmm. typically uh, nonprofits were really smart. We get someone who knows that person and can give them the whole, hey, you owe me, I owe you, or <laughs> hey, we're BFFs, or you're in my bunco club, or whatever that connection is, mm-hmm. and play on that. So in the moment, you're like, oh, I'll say yes to Marjorie because Marjorie is really nice. And I do owe her because at one time she babysat my cat. And you think about <laughs> things like that. And then the day of, that cat babysitting thing doesn't seem like That's such a good reason months anymore. That's a pretty big deal yeah. to me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you have the stretches to prove it. Oh, so what about planning committees? So it's one thing to have day of event volunteers. Mm-hmm. How do you find the right match for a volunteer with that committee role because you had talked about listing them which again is a novel concept (laughs) Uh, but what type of people do you look for in general that would join a planning committee you have a gamut of people that you're looking for so you find the people that you meet at a chamber event who are great at socializing that you're going to put on your recruitment committee to get out there and talk to people you find the people who don't have any interest in networking and you don't make them do that because they would hate you and hate their life <laughs> and you have them <laughs> and show up exactly right. and decide not to do it so you have them do something like social media or networking like social i mean, emails and websites and things like that so that they're behind the scenes and not being forced into those situations that they don't like. So it's really kind of knowing who you have and Mm -hmm. what best suits them and not trying to force them into doing what you actually need to be done, whether it's their strong suit or not. I was really surprised as we were reading, doing some of the reading, there was a, one of the articles we were reading from Do Jiggy, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, but was talking about a couple different committees that you needed and one of them was legal and logistics and I never thought about the legalities that go into a walk and that having somebody with that mindset is really important otherwise probably going to get yourself in big trouble right you get yes. too many attorneys on your committee no one will be able to do anything they'll just yeah. show up and they'll say I was here and then they'll leave because it's a liability they will be allowed to do anything right. they're, they're in the parking lot they're not able to walk on the property yeah. they're going to have to sign 17 different waivers yeah. for every different activity oh, they can do our, our poor nonprofit attorneys that support us don't hit, don't hate us we love you you keep us we, we appreciate keep us good, you right? yes. yes so that's so that is interesting though because you think of the day of the event and the different type of volunteers that you need mm-hmm. the day of the event as opposed mm-hmm. to the plan so yeah, different humans entirely completely yes. so you need someone with the planning logistics background that really that energetic person but who can see the big picture mm-hmm. and the day of the event it's the i need someone who can roll my sleeves and not and just say and get in there and do what needs to be done yeah. right so you're really kind of looking for two different types of volunteers although they may have both qualities needing them in two different mm-hmm. ways exactly well Good and point. you have a bunch of people who don't want to commit long term to being part of the committee mm. they want to volunteer for your event but they just want to do it for that one day so and that's great because you need those people but you also don't want to try and force them to be part of the month-long right. planning committee and so then, when they say no 
your immediate response should be, so the day of, can exactly. we count you in for that? So not mm-hmm. only have you guilted them to it, mm-hmm. but you give them a smaller <laughs> But timeline. you've given them an option right. that they actually like. I like yeah. that. Yes. So you had talked, uh, Marjorie, about we, about the locations before, about all the yeah. different great locations. Because first off, we happen to be recording in a beautiful location uh, mm-hmm. here at the Lay of the Snows. It's just very difficult to do a 5K around it. I can't even imagine because <laughs> of the, the hills. Yeah. But it's so beautiful. So originally yeah. you're like, oh, it's so pretty to drive through. Mm-hmm. But then you walk it and you go, oh, there's a lot of hills. <laughs> there are a lot of hills. <laughs> and so there's all these things that go into picking a great location. And what what kind of things, Marjorie, you were talking about, you guys did it for two years what yeah. kind of things do, did you guys look at when you were looking at location-wise? Obviously, well, this made sense to you. Yeah, but this made sense to us. So we, we actually ended up having a, a walk event on the grounds of Our Lady of the Snows Shrine in Belleville, Illinois, for, I think, two or three years. And we picked locations solely on. We were allowed to get permission to do this and didn't have to worry about permits or anything like that. So, like, that was huge for us. But some of the things I think we should have thought about mm. was who is our target audience for this event and who will be coming. Mm-hmm. Um, because we had a really poorly attended, attended event. I think we got up to 51 years. It's probably not great. <laughs> so, um, you know, a lot of lessons learned. Um, also, the, one of the other things was just, you know, like logistics or parking, things like that. We have a huge church parking lot, but no restrooms along the way. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It really so that was, that was really tricky for I us. I love too. when, when you go to a walk and they give you all this water at the beginning and then no restroom. Right. It's like, so what would you like us to do with you that? You were setting me up yeah. for failure from the start. <laughs> now the, the, the avid runners will be telling you, you should sweat that out and that shouldn't be yeah. a problem. <laughs> However, if you've ever been with a 5k with me, I do much more of the walk than the run. <laughs> right. So perhaps not sweating it out as much as run. I'd like to. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the race entry com article that we were reading also brought up a great article and we'll make sure we reference that in our show notes brought up something i hadn't thought about before was like hotels and activities for families Mm -hmm. with regards to your location for people who are coming in to that area and may need to stay overnight and they're saying okay we'll make a family trip out of it and either the whole family is participating in the walk or key members are are participating while the rest of the family is doing other activities yeah. and teaming up with with those lo- you know finding your location that works well and then surrounding yourself with those amenities and reaching out and accommodations yeah. that was a good idea that would be really great i've actually done um done one of those before where i went up to chicago i had a cousin with lupus she there, she was the team captain for the lupus walk and you know so our whole family went up there Mom and I made a girls' week out of it, but we were nowhere near the race location. And it would have been really nice, too, since we had to get up early, early, early right. to be right there. And uh, I don't know if those accommodations were a possibility. Maybe they were. Maybe we weren't looking at things. But that's something to think about, too, yeah. is getting those families involved, especially when you're talking about a lot of these sort of uh, disease-based charities, too. Mm-hmm. That's probably not the right word for it. I mean, it's, it works. <laughs> it works. Yeah. So um, logistics yeah. is huge. Logistics is huge, Where especially you? because you want volunteers to come back year after year and mm-hmm. teams to come back. If they get there and there's no parking or registration is a mess or things like that, they're so much less likely to come back the next year. So there could be some of our listeners who are currently having a run or a walk, and they're thinking of changing things on their logistics to be able to better suit it like there's always nervousness when you use the c word because change means that you're making something different right Mm -hmm. and you don't want to upset your walkers and you always had 
the registration here. You've always had this booth there, and they're thinking of making those types of changes. You, ha- Your organization has done so much over the years, and I'm sure that it has evolved with that at the time. What what type of advice would you give those nonprofit professionals thinking about making logistical changes and how they might approach that with their, their volunteers and their participants? Yeah, whenever we're going to make any type of big changes with an event, we always make sure to reach out to the top volunteers and the top participants to kind of talk through with them the pros and the cons of how things have worked in the past and really explain to them why we think making a change could really improve their event and the experience for anybody coming in. Um, And I think that's really what it's about. It's about convenience, especially nowadays. Mm -hmm. People have so many options of causes they can support and events that they can go to. They're going to go to the one that's the most well thought out and easiest for them. So if there are any small changes that you can make to make that easier for them, they're way more likely to come back to your event in the future. Yeah. Have you ever made a change uh, that you've seen that you went, wow, we made that change and it we probably shouldn't have and had to go back and either do some recon with your volunteers or make go back to where it was? And can you just, can you talk about what that experience is like? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're never going to please everyone is a thing that you kind of have to know going into planning nonprofit events. There's always going to be someone who wishes that it was the same way it was 15 years ago. And they're going to be we really laugh because unhappy. we're all picturing people who've done yeah, that. We us. all know. Right. We all know right. someone. So, and a lot of times you do something like you move a location or something like that and it doesn't work. Um, we did that with our relay in Collinsville two years ago. We tried to switch locations because our typical location is at a school in the middle of a neighborhood and we had complaints from neighbors so we tried to move it and it just didn't work and so it was really just owning up to it and saying you know we tried this we thought maybe it would enhance our event and we were wrong and we're really sorry about that next year we're going to go back to the same location so you will have everything the way it used to be and we really do apologize for any inconvenience that we caused but I mean I think just owning up to it and we're humans and sometimes things don't work out yeah absolutely I think and you you know you want your people to go Go away with happy memories of your event. Mm-hmm, you want mm-hmm. them to remember the good scenery. You don't want to remember them to remember the no right. bathrooms, things like that. But what about getting them there? I think we looked at, I've mentioned the Doojiggy article before. Um, how do Which we I looked at that website several times before I realized what are they, what is this doojiggy.com? Yeah. And I don't know where they came up with the name of it for, but know. it was very catchy. Yeah. And I, actually, we catchy. should mention that Doojiggy and Classy.org are bo- both um, software for race events and other things like that. And so we should probably mention that up front, but we want to get people to the event. Um, what do you do to draw in your, um, draw in your participants, create awareness, all that? How do we, how do we get that started? I think, especially with cancer, it's something that awareness is there. Everybody mm-hmm. knows that it's a thing. So it's really kind of talking to survivors who have been through it and getting them to rally their family and their friends around them. Um, it's putting everything out there on social media, in the newspaper, um, as much as you can get out there. Just anybody who's been affected by this, we're having this event, please come out and see it. A lot of times once people come to an event and see it, they're a lot more likely to get actively involved with it Mm -hmm. after understanding it because there are so many of these events that people don't really get until Mm -hmm. they actually come out and see it. So if you can get people there, so we always have activities like bounce houses, face painting, things like that to get the entire family out there and get them involved. That's a great idea for this type of event because it really 
can bring a whole family activity. Mm-hmm. More and more you hear in the media about family values mm-hmm. and how things have changed. And even I noticed the other day I went to a fast food restaurant and they have a program where if the whole family puts their cell phones in this box, then, oh, I'm going to call them out because they're awesome, Chick-fil-A does this you oh, put, really? put the cell phone in the box and then they don't have cell phone time while they're eating then wow. there's like a treat i guess for the kids i haven't oh. i didn't i was going quickly uh because <laughs> the, the, that's how fast they are there but i did <laughs> see that you know even trying just to bring it back to home mm-hmm. and to have that conversation so what a great way to be able to get your family involved by if you haven't marketed this as a family event before and you're wanting to take your 5k or your your run walk up a notch ways to get your family involved and saying that we're going to do this as a family and we're going to kind of unite together and think of the memories that you could build uh, with a participation like that. Yeah. So uh, I've seen where they've done fun walks as well as run walks. I've seen both of that. Uh, when you market that, is there a different audience that you're marketing uh, something like that too? I definitely think so. I think that the 5K runs, you have a very specific group of people who are always looking for those and want to go out and run either because they're training for a bigger race or because they're very into running. And I think the fun walks are a lot more family-oriented and for people who really want to support the cause but don't necessarily feel like going out there and sweating it. 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning, so can, which is me. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> me too. Uh, so can we mix the two? Is there a way to I think you definitely can, I think you can mix them, and then that's just going to expand the audience that mm-hmm. your event is marketable to. So you can definitely have a 5K that includes a fun walk for the families who want to come out, and you still get that running participation too. I think where I've seen that be really successful is the communication and the marketing where it says specifically, we're going to have a start time for competitive runners mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be a, a time delay at maybe 15 minutes or half hour, depending on yeah. the, the, whatever it was. And then the fun walk is going to kick off here. So you still exactly. get your time, but you're not getting in the way of those who are competitively coming in and they're watching that time. Yeah, I think that works. Or if you have like a separate route for the fun walk oh. so that they're not in the same area as the 5K runners. It could be entertaining if you let them all go exactly. at the same time. with their dogs and their children and everybody and the runners are just upset. So, yeah, either a different start time or a different route works perfect for those kind of events. So we laugh about the dogs and the children. However, you think about marketing, that's really good to communicate. Can can you bring your pets? Mm-hmm. And what That's qualifies huge. as a pet? Yes. And are you allowed Don't to bring your lion? Do, well, I've seen people show up with a snake before. Oh. Oh. Yes. That's it's, that just shouldn't happen. It just shouldn't. Well, no, 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 it should not. Snakes are not for walks and runs. They're for slithering and yeah. not in where I'm walking. Uh, Leash on a snake? No, well, <laughs> just take it. The visual. Uh-huh. It's really fun to think about, honestly. <laughs> well, I Maybe a snake walk is I, a new fundraising oh, event. So that there you go. Now, profits agencies, yeah. you're looking for this. Biggest thing, reptile walks. Um, I have seen a cat on a leash before at a walk, and uh, the cat was very happy to be going for its walk. I I don't think our cat would be very happy Mm -hmm. with that at all. But um, you know, you think about marketing, letting people know our pets allowed because you think of allergies Mm -hmm. that people have and being around and sensitivities. So they may, someone may avoid a walk that has a dog. You know, dogs Mm -hmm. are welcome if they're allergic to dogs. Or maybe dogs give their child anxiety, mm-hmm. and so they don't want to bring that child there because they know there will be dogs. So clarifying, are dogs allowed and shouldn't, from the legal standpoint, what do they need to have to make sure that yeah. they're there? They're there, and also, are you checking those in on registration and checking to make sure that they have those yeah. that information, you know, available? Uh, and then for children, if children are going to be invited, is there an age limit? 
Because people will bring strollers. I've seen mm-hmm. that before. Absolutely. And then you see people, people who get upset. Right? They get <laughs> upset because they're trying to run and their stroller's in their way. So clarifying mm-hmm. are strollers or not or not, not so much for the idea that you're restricting someone, but you're communicating with the people who where that may impede their ability to enjoy themselves mm-hmm. and have a good time. Because uh, we all know how important grassroots marketing is for nonprofit organizations. Absolutely. I think the more you can communicate up front about what your event's going to be like, I think the better everybody is going to Absolutely. be. Absolutely. The more information people have going into an event, mm-hmm. the more successful. I feel like it is because they come and they know exactly what's going to happen. People don't like surprises. Yeah. Right. So Thank goodness for that FAQ on the website. Yes. <laughs> you just put it all out Absolutely. there. <laughs> now, do you coordinate when you're doing your marketing so that uh, I assume, you know, all your messages are the same, but do you have your calendar events so that what's on your social media that day is also what you're pushing out towards your marketing, which is what's happening with your emails. So it's all one big, or is it Mm -hmm. more strategic to have those messages varying? Yes, it's all, everything I do is scheduled out. I use Hootsuite to schedule out all my social media messaging months in advance, just because in the middle of event season, you don't have time to be putting a Facebook message Mm -hmm. up every other day. So, And what app is that? I'm sorry. Hootsuite. Hootsuite. Mm -hmm. So like Hoot like an owl. Hoot like an owl, sweet S-U-I-T. I'm Glad we asked because yes. I, I know that our listeners will want to Absolutely. know. Absolutely, know. yeah. No, it's made my life so much easier. Excellent. So, yeah, scheduling social media out is something that, like, if you have a down season, like during the winter is kind of my down season. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you, just, did you just say nonprofits have down seasons? <laughs> yeah. Yes. In December, none of my volunteers want to talk to me. Oh, like, yeah. They all have Christmas. So that's when that's I fair. do things like schedule all my social media messages. Good point. You know, I, I think January always seems to be an interesting time, too, because they're recovering from exactly. that holiday season and yes you're you know you've got lots going on but it's good planning time as well unless your big yes. event is a run walk that's in the middle of winter in January in which mm-hmm. that doesn't work for you yeah so that's not going to work for I you I think what I hear you saying is know your downtime <laughs> yes and know and, when you have time to do those kinds of things because it is huge to get those social media messages out there and if you wait until the middle of your busy season you're not going to be able to do it as often as you would like to good good idea so when I asked you about the how you do the magic, right? Because I teased you about the magic magic, before. And I know that there is no magic wand, you told me. And (laughs) the pixie dust is out, right? I wish. But you did talk about the secret of focusing on the why. Because Mm -hmm. I was talking to you originally about coming on the show, and I said, so let's go through the to-do list of what you need to remember. And you're like, it's not just a to-do list. It's really just focusing on the why. Tell me more about what you meant by that. Yeah, I just feel like you really need to make people understand why they're supporting your organization. So the American Cancer Society is the top nonprofit funder of cancer research in the United States. So that's something that I always really focus on because if we want to live in a world where our kids and our grandkids aren't going to ever know the word cancer, we have to be focusing on that research. So that funding is huge, and it's a big thing that everyone wants to live in a world where that's not a problem for their kids. So I always focus on things like that. And then I focus on things that we're doing locally. We have free wigs here in O'Fallon and in Godfrey. Um, we do a look good, feel better class at cancer treatment center here in Fairview Heights where cancer patients can come and a licensed cosmetologist teaches them how to deal with their skin while they're going through mm-hmm. treatments and things like that. So it's really focusing on what we're doing locally mm-hmm. and what we're doing on a bigger scale Mm-hmm. that's going to really make an impact and why people should be involved with our organization because of those things. So Marjorie, when you were doing your walk, 
and describing to people the why behind why they should support the walk and obviously not as successful as we would have wanted, right? But there was exactly. still, there was still that why. So what kind of messages were you sharing and what, what kind of connections were you trying to make with your participants? Yeah. So that, that was really tricky for our organization because. Which is we why were, I asked, right? Yeah. We were really just kind of, we labeled it Walk of the Blind. We've got a blindness organization. Our messaging wasn't really good, and I think that was one piece. We had a board member that kind of led the charge on this and kind of, you know, maybe the staff wasn't going to work on this. So um, really just kind of pushed out, walked for the blind, had shoes all over the place. It didn't really fit with our mission, and we were only able to get one big sponsor. We weren't able to get a lot of people in, and, you know, exactly what you're talking about, Amanda, is, is exactly why we didn't get that, mm. um, because we weren't talking about all the good work that we do here at Minds Eye. We weren't talking about, you know, the thousands of hours of reading that goes on in our studios every week. We weren't talking about the hundreds of thousands of people we've served over the years. We were just talking about come out and walk. Right. And yeah. that's not why you have a walk. <laughs> Great point. And I agree completely. And I, where I've seen big success in the why is where they've been able to relate dollars to activities so if yes. the participation is twenty dollars for example to walk and twenty and four walkers would equate to a service that is provided by your organization right. when you're able to do that i think that's powerful because now you're walking and you're actually able to physically think about what that looks like and how you're making that absolutely impact. that's huge so i love drawing those connections so thank you so much, Amanda, for joining us today. This was a really great talk. I want to hear a little bit more about this wine, which is <laughs> absolutely. Walk. You can't say wine around us right. and, and not, not tell, tell us you more. more. About it. Right. <laughs> so Wine Witches in a Walk is an American Cancer Society fundraiser that we are doing in October. We are going to have a wine event on Friday, October 21st okay. at the new <laughs> glass building that's going in right across from Bella Milano in O'Fallon. Um, and then we're going to do a family-friendly 5K walk on Saturday morning, October 22nd at Rock Springs Park in O'Fallon. Um, both are fundraising events, so we're going to have different components for both of those. Um, and you can go online to relayforlife.org slash winewitcheswalkil and get all kinds of information. You can sign up a team for the walk on Saturday. Um, you can always shoot me an email at amanda.kernan at cancer.org and get more information or get involved. And you have a Facebook page as well, and right? We also have a Facebook how page. How I found you, yes. Yes, that is exactly how you found us. So um, it is Facebook.com, I believe, Wine Witches Walk IL. Perfect. Just like our website. Perfect. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get that posted. That to, yeah, on the show notes. So awesome. We can find you Perfect. and hopefully come out and find find the event. And I think Natalie and I will be at one or both of those events. We'll have a wine glass. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I feel like you're going to be at the wine event, which is, you know, a good call. So if you it are is. listening and you've always said, I wish I could meet Marjorie Moore and Natalie Jablonski. They <laughs> this are is so your awesome. chance. Yeah. This is your chance. Get tickets. We will be there. And we maybe even sign an autograph for you. You never there know. You go. At a couple glasses of wine, we oh, can yeah. do that for you. <laughs> yeah. And we should probably be transparent. Natalie is on the planning committee for this event. Yes. So. Yes, she yes, is. She, she actually had me with wine. She, she was. Yeah, she led with the wine and and uh, was That's happy how I to help people in. That's right. Yeah. So I'll be excited to be a part of that uh, part of that walk. We are happy to have you. Excellent. Well, thank you everybody for joining us today on Five Hundred One Crossroads. We're recorded at the studios of Minds Eye Radio and is produced and hosted by me, Marjorie Moore, and me, Natalie Jablonski. Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, whatever your favorite app is, and subscribe to us, like us, give us some feedback, let us know what you want to hear from us. Um, you can find us on Facebook also at Five Hundred One Crossroads. And thank you for listening. And remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes. <laughs>